It has stood the test of time. God's book, the Bible, still relevant in today's complex world. It is written, sharing messages of hope around the world. Several weeks ago, we began this series, Philosophy's Achilles Heel, by noting that the probability of all the things we see just appearing by random chance processes is incredibly small. In fact, statistically impossible. And as we looked around and began the investigation of God's existence, chance was ruled out. When chance is ruled out, then God as creator becomes a certainty. Yet the existence of God as creator is being questioned now more than ever before in history. Why is this? Because there are so many contradictory things that are being said about God. And as we continued our study, we applied the test of probability to the various religions and worldviews of the world, and we found that only the Bible invites us to actually investigate its claims to authority and inspiration. How does it invite us to investigate? Through predictive prophecy. As we have continued that thought process, we have studied one book of the Bible in particular. That book is the book of Daniel. Over and over again, we've been able to apply the principles of probability to its content. Daniel 1 revealed the 70-year prophecy which revolved around the rise and fall of Babylon and its capture of Jerusalem. It's one thing to predict the rise of Babylon, yet it's another thing altogether to say that Babylon will fall in exactly 70 years. In Daniel 2, we studied the dream of Nebuchadnezzar, its interpretation and amazing historical fulfillment. Daniel 3 brought a story of God's amazing delivery of the three Hebrew young men, Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael. Each of these events, all of them highly improbable events that cannot be explained by random chance processes. Yet in Daniel 3, we also discovered that although God has infinite power and although he would have all men to be saved, he does not coerce or force anyone to follow and worship him. Because as each of us knows, in order for love to truly be love, it must give us the opportunity to say yes, but also the opportunity to say no. Today we return to the book of Daniel. We continue our journey with Daniel chapter 4, the fascinating and first improbability of Daniel 4 is that it is written, not by Daniel, but by King Nebuchadnezzar himself. Why would a pagan king be allowed 
to write a chapter of God's holy book. The first three verses of Daniel 4 tell us exactly how and why that happened. Nebuchadnezzar, the king to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth. Peace be multiplied to you. I thought it good to declare the signs and wonders that the Most High God has worked for me. How great are his signs and how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and his dominion is from generation to generation. Often, when we think of signs and wonders, we think of things like the parting of the Red Sea, the healings of Jesus and the revealing of the king's dream in Daniel 2. These things are all virtually impossible to explain by natural causes and by chance because their probability of occurrence is so incredibly small. It is far more reasonable and rational to believe that God's power is the cause of these wonders rather than pure luck and chance. Nebuchadnezzar stated that the purpose for this writing, this chapter, is to share his personal encounter with Daniel's God, the God of the Bible. It is his testimony, not just to declare God's signs and wonders, but a declaration that the signs and wonders that the Most High God has worked for him. And in these verses, the king purposefully links God's ability to work signs and wonders with his own conversion, submission, and allegiance to the God of heaven. The even greater beauty of the king's message in this chapter is that it has universal scope. His message is not just directed to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell on the earth during the time period in which he lived. But it is a message for us, for you and for me. Today, in the 21st century, the text clearly states that God's kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and that his dominion is from generation to generation. This means that the king's message about the signs and wonders of the Most High God reached down to our very day. Now, how does the king make that link? Why would the king make this link between signs and wonders and his newfound relationship with the God of heaven? Let's take a closer look at the king so that we can discover how the power of God works in the life of an individual. But before we get to the story, let's first look at what King Nebuchadnezzar's name means. Literally, Nebuchadnezzar means, may Nabu protect the son or successor. It also could mean, may Nabu protect the boundary. In other words... The king is named after the Babylonian god Nabu, who was thought to be the god of writers, the son of Marduk, who was the god of storm and fertility. This means that through his birth and training as a youth, 
the worship of the Babylonian gods was ingrained in the very being of the king. This is why when the king received the dream in Daniel 2 regarding the great image, he had every confidence that the wise men who surrounded him had the ability to reveal to him the contents of the dream. They were the experts in the Babylonian religion, yet they failed him. Even after Daniel had revealed to him the dream, its interpretation, and amazing historical fulfillment, the king still slipped back to his old ways by erecting an image that was entirely made of gold. Nebuchadnezzar was sure that the gods would look favorably upon his desire to extend the length of ruling of the kingdom of Babylon. However, the king's plans were defeated when the three Hebrew young men were cast into the fire and came out unscathed. I can only imagine that he was still being influenced by the wise men to worship the Babylonian deities. Yet there was failure after failure of those deities. One might think that his confidence in the wise men would be shaken by now. Yet, as we shall see, this was not the case. In fact, let's continue the story of Daniel 4 in verses 4 through 9. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at rest in my house and flourishing in my palace. I saw a dream which made me afraid, and the thoughts on my bed and the visions of my head troubled me. Therefore, I issued a decree to bring in all the wise men of Babylon before me that they might make known to me the interpretation of the dream. Then the magicians, the astrologers, the Chaldeans, and the soothsayers came in, and I told them the dream. But they did not make known to me its interpretation. But at last, Daniel came before me. His name is Belteshazzar. According to the name of my God, in him is the spirit of the holy God. And I told the dream before him, saying, Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, because I know that the spirit of the holy God is in you and no secret troubles you, explain to me the visions of my dream that I have seen and its interpretation. Here's the interesting thing. In Daniel 2, Nebuchadnezzar does not give them the dream because he does not remember it. Now, the most probable reason is that the wise men professed to be able to solve any mystery. Yet, as we previously noted, they failed. But here in Daniel 4, the king actually remembers the dream. He relates it to them, and they're still unable to interpret the dream. Finally, though, Daniel arrived and again provided the correct interpretation for the dream. And we'll get to that in just a moment. Now, in addition to his natural training to worship the gods of Babylon, the king had another major problem, and that problem was his pride. 
No doubt his pride was fueled by his success on the battlefield. In fact, Ezekiel chapter 30, verses 10 through 11, refer to Nebuchadnezzar as the terrible of the nations. Jeremiah 50 and verse 23 describes him as the hammer of the whole earth. History tells us that after Nebuchadnezzar overcame Tyre, which took 13 years to overcome, Nebuchadnezzar turned his eyes to Egypt. The Bible, through the prophet Ezekiel in Ezekiel chapter 31, even compares Egypt to a mighty tree towered above the rest of the trees of the earth. Even the trees of Eden envied the splendor of this tree. Yet this tree was lifted up because of its greatness and God sent Babylon to cut it down to the ground and the crash of its fall shook the earth. It was Nebuchadnezzar that conquered that mighty tree and he knew it. His pride was overflowed as he knew that he had conquered the superpowers of his day and now he was not just one superpower. He was the superpower, the dominant force and empire on the earth. It was in that context of his pride of knowing that he was king among kings, that he was at rest in his home. And then one night he dreamed a dream. Let's read about that dream back in Daniel 4 and continue in verses 10 through 17. I was looking and behold a tree in the midst of the earth and its height was great. The tree grew and became strong. Its height reached to the heavens and it could be seen to the ends of all the earth. Its leaves were lovely, its fruit abundant and in it was food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it. The birds of the heavens dwelt in its branches and all flesh was fed from it. I saw in the visions of my head while on my bed and there was a watcher, a holy one, coming down from heaven. He cried aloud and said thus, Chop down the tree and cut off its branches. Strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the beasts get out from under it and the birds from its branches. Nevertheless, leave the stump and roots in the earth bound with a band of iron and bronze. In the tender grass of the field, let it be wet with the dew of heaven and let him graze with the beasts on the grass of the earth. Let his heart be changed from that of a man. Let him be given the heart of a beast and let seven times pass over him. This decision by the decree of the watchers and the sentence by the word of the holy ones in order that the living may know that the most high rules in the kingdom of men gives it to whomever he will and sets it the lowest of men. Daniel listened intently to the king he listened to the dream, and as he heard it, he was astonished. He knew what it meant. But how? 
how could he tell the king? The king insisted upon the interpretation and that Daniel shouldn't worry about it. You see, Daniel was about to give Nebuchadnezzar a very unfavorable message. Once again, a captive giving instruction to the king. What are the odds? In verses 24 to 27, Daniel gave the interpretation of the dream. This is the interpretation, O king. And this is the decree of the Most High, which has come upon my Lord, the King. They shall drive you from men. Your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and they shall make you eat grass like oxen. They shall wet you with the dew of heaven, and seven times shall pass over you till you know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever he chooses." And inasmuch as they gave the command to leave the stump and roots of the tree, your kingdom shall be assured to you after you come to know that heaven rules. Therefore, O king, let my advice be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by being righteous and your iniquities by showing mercy to the poor. Perhaps there may be a lengthening of your prosperity. Can you imagine being in Daniel's shoes? First, he tells Nebuchadnezzar in chapter 2 that the kingdom would end. Now he's telling the king that he would be the one who would lose the kingdom in most undesirable fashion. Yet Nebuchadnezzar is neither humbled nor distraught at how to avoid this calamitous event. The next three verses that occur in Daniel 3 give us a peek into the window, into the depth of the pride of the king. All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of the 12 months, he was walking about the royal palace of Babylon. The king spoke, saying, is not this great Babylon that I have built for a royal dwelling by my mighty power and for the honor of my majesty. The king had been given 12 months to change, 12 months to seek the God of heaven and be transformed. God did not immediately execute the judgment on the king. Instead, God waited to see what the king would do with the message that had been given to him. Sadly, old habits do indeed die hard. And the sentence, though long delayed, was finally pronounced when the king took to himself the credit of Babylon's success. His pride inflated, his boasting increased. The things of the dream came to pass. Think about it. The king's naming at birth and training in the mysteries of the Babylonian religion, his continued confidence in the wise men of the nation, his pride and his placement of the vessels of the God of the Bible into the house of his God. Why would God continue to pursue him? 
How likely would it be that he would ever decide to follow the true God? In fact, his conversion to the God of heaven was so highly unlikely, one might say that it it was impossible. Yet the God of heaven, Daniel's God, the God of the Bible, he did not stop seeking after the king. And in absolute defiance of random chance processes, let's look at what happened to the king. The king was driven from the habitation of humans. He lost all his mental faculties. He ate grass like oxen. He was wetted and washed with the dew of the morning. And all of this lasted for seven times or seven years. Each and every one of these things happened just as predicted in the dream. Complete accuracy. And even more astounding, at the end of that time period, King Nebuchadnezzar's reason and understanding returned to him and he was reinstated as the king and he, was, and he praised the true God of heaven. And out of his mouth came these words, I bless the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever for his dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom is from generation to generation. All of these judgments, everything about this event is highly unusual, yet decreasing the probability even more is the fact that there is a time period of seven years attached to the fulfillment of the dream. And all of it came true to the last details and time. This is yet another powerful story and example of the reliability and trustworthiness of the Bible. The king's words, after his reason returned, demonstrate that there was no doubt in his mind whether the events of the last seven years were of divine origin. The king had already seen Daniel's God at work in several highly improbable ways. And now, finally now, not only did he intellectually know about God, but he fully submitted to a relationship with him. Nebuchadnezzar saw God revealed in Daniel 1 and the Hebrews' faithfulness to divine principles. He saw God in the dream of Daniel 2. He saw God in the deliverance of the three Hebrew young men of Daniel 3. And now the prediction and fulfillment of his second dream. As a result, he was convicted to write this testimony for the benefit of future generations. His testimony reminds us that the greatest miracle, sign, or wonder is that of a changed life for God. The king's testimony reveals that while God powerfully convicts individuals of his existence and greatness, 
He is incredibly patient with us. While God may discipline, as he did with Nebuchadnezzar, he does not overpower. He does not manipulate our will in order to secure our loyalty or our conversion. When Nebuchadnezzar's reason returned to him, he made his choice, a free choice. He saw the loving patience and long-suffering of God in his life to lead him from a temporary kingdom on this earth to an eternal kingdom in heaven, an eternal kingdom which will never end. Nebuchadnezzar could no longer refrain from praising, honoring, serving, and submitting to him who lives forever and ever. What about you, friend? What will you do? How will you answer God's relentless pursuit of you? He wants to enter into relationship with you. He has revealed himself in his word. He is calling to you. What will you say? Why don't you, friend? Why don't you make a decision right now to accept Jesus Christ and his love for you? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have relentlessly pursued us today. We come before you and make a decision to no longer just intellectually know you, but today to know you by submitting to you fully and entering into a faithful relationship with you. Please, Lord, be with us and help us to always look to you for the answers we need in life. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Dear friend, what a story. The conversion of a pagan king who actually authors one chapter of the Bible. God is working in mighty ways. And just as mightily as he worked at the time of Daniel, he's working in mighty ways today. Today, I'd like to offer you the book, The Thought Makers. The Thought Makers is an exploration of some of the great thought makers throughout time and how they viewed God. It will certainly help you in your spiritual journey and your spiritual walk with Jesus. Here's the information you need to receive today's offer. To request today's offer, just log on to www.itiswrittencanada.ca. For Canadian viewers, the offer will be sent free and postage paid. For viewers outside of Canada, shipping charges will apply. If you prefer, you may call toll-free at 1-888-CALL-IIW. Or if you wish, you may write to us at It Is Written, Box 2010, Oshawa, Ontario, L1H7V4. You know, friend, while the conversion story of Nebuchadnezzar is dramatic because it involves the leader of an ancient empire, conversion stories like his really happen all over the world every day. People who don't believe in God or acknowledge something or someone else's God encountering the God of the Bible, the true God, the God of the Most High. 
At It Is Written Canada, we are committed to sharing the message of hope and wholeness that is found in the true God, the God of the Bible. I'd invite you to like our Facebook page and follow along with the ministry and get updates to various shows. I thank you so much for watching the program today, and I hope you'll join us again next week. Until then, remember, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God.